Good morning. <clears throat> if you uh, have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. And if you don't happen to have a Bible and you want to follow along, go ahead and raise your hand and uh, the nice man in the Hawaiian shirt will bring it to you. Let me pray. Our Father, Lord, thank you for your word. I am so filled with gladness this morning that we have somewhere to turn. God, that you have not left us here to figure things out on our own, to just bounce around ideas with what seems to make sense for the moment, but you have carefully and lovingly preserved your word for your people today. And so, my God, I pray that we would carefully listen to the word of God. And as your precious spirit stirs us up, perhaps convicts, perhaps builds up and comforts, Father, may we be sensitive to that. To let the word, let you, Father, with your word, have your way with us. That we might hear the truth. Father, you may shape us according to the truth. So I, I plead with you, Lord. Please help me to be out of the way. And Father, would you minister to your flock, minister to your people, as we give our attention and we give our hearts to you and to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if I'm sure all of you, I would imagine at some point, in some way or another, you've been granted authority over something. And what came with that authority was fear. Perhaps some excitement, perhaps some... Uh, some joy because this is going to be great and I'm excited, but also you look at the task in front of you and you're scared. Probably all been there at some point, no matter how small the, the task might be. For me, one that comes to my mind immediately is the doctor saying, this is your new daughter. And me going, uh-oh, um, that means the 20-year-old guy has to be an adult now and... Uh, but then I found out you don't have to be. Um, you just play with the kid. It's great. Uh, another one that comes to my mind is Village Mission saying there's a local church on the coast, and uh, Dr. Jack uh, Kennedy, his son, has been pastoring there and started that church, and he's been there for 15 years, and he's moving and want you to go and seek to minister there, which caused great fear and trepidation. Still does. That kind of responsibility, when somebody puts something in your hands and says, I'm going to give you authority, but I'm also going to give you responsibility, I want you to walk rightly with that responsibility. And don't, and the, the words of wisdom I give Roger every Sunday, he has a call to worship, don't mess this one up. 
That responsibility can look different, it can look small, it can look much bigger, it can look like many different things. But one thing nobody's ever told me was, and now I want you to kind of, in a sense, redo the opportunity Adam had. In Genesis 9, Noah is told by the living God much of the same command given to Adam at the beginning of creation. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Adam is, or Noah is sinless. I'm not saying that God in the, the ark and in the washing through the flood that he made the world uncursed and that Noah and his family were then perfect and were sinless people. I don't mean that in the least. But when you stop and read the passage, you're going to hear some very familiar language that we heard back before the fall. And it's fascinating to me because where we left off was Noah giving a sacrifice, worship, an offering before God. And if you look down at chapter 8, verse 20, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So, so much for that not sinning thing. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You've heard that before. It's the exact same thing he told Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to fill the earth. I want to see my earth filled with those who are in, made in my image. And so this first point I want you to think through with me is the favor of God on Noah and his family. This whole thing is favor. If you think about the story of Noah, it says, Then Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Another word could be used would be grace. Then Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Undeserved favor of God was found by Noah. Not because Noah was better than everybody else, but because God was gracious to Noah. And so what I want to look at in this first portion is divine blessing, divine command, divine protection, and divine provision. It's interesting when you find this in your, in your Bibles where it says, and then the Lord blessed them. This concept is not kind of like when we say somebody gave a blessing. I don't personally do this, but I've heard of some preachers where somebody will bring a particular object and say, will you bless this object for me? Will you walk through my home and bless this home for me? Um, I don't really see a biblical concept there of blessing inanimate objects Um, that's not what is being said here per se. What's being said here is God granted favor to Noah and to his family. God was gracious to them. God blessed them. And now this passage is going to unfold even farther with what the blessings look like. It'd be kind of like this. If we were to say, and God blessed Dan. And then you get a list of how he blessed Dan, what he's provided for Dan, all that he's done for Dan. Here, it says, then the Lord blessed him, and then it tells us all the things God has provided. So if you first notice, it says, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
This is a blessing. Now, I know in our day, it's interesting, the different perspectives on family sizes and large families and small families. And I know the unbelieving world in the world of abortion clinics and all of that in our world right now hears this and has no concept of how this computes. But we as Christians would read this and happily say, this is Almighty God saying, I want more people made in my image. And I want you to fill my earth with more and more and more of those who bear my image. This is exactly what he told Adam and Eve. This is the creation mandate that didn't stop with Adam and Eve. And this is interesting to me. Notice that it doesn't say, because man's evil from his youth, stop. But the Lord knows evil from his youth. He will continually be a sinner. But he says, I want you to continue to procreate, to fill this earth. Now, think about your whole Bible. Go all the way to the end of it. There will be people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation singing his praises in his glory in eternal paradise in heaven. God has a grand and glorious design. It's not just fill the earth so the earth looks better or, or it, that's just leave it with a group of people. No, there's something far greater in mind. God has a great game plan. Don't ever read your Bible just incrementally and forgetting that there's a divine plan for all the ages. And so first, come, first thing he says is, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. He adds something new here. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. This was not the case, is my best guess, okay? My best guess is that this was not the case prior to this time, where these animals were living in fear and dread of man. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the nature of things prior to the curse, prior to the fall, prior to sin in creation. But now God, I see this as a couple different things. Number one, the Lord's granted them authority over all of his creation, but he's also granted them protection over all creation because the animals will be in subjection to man. This is interesting to me, you guys, because of the world that we live in right now where so, so many millions of people go to bed and wake up with the thought that they are animals who evolved and kept evolving and kept evolving to the point that that's where they are presently. Which, in my opinion, biblically, spits in the face of Almighty God and is utterly demeaning to man, God's creation. If you look at the creation narrative as he makes all of his creation, puts everything in place, makes all the animals, there's a crescendo effect where he ends with man. And by the way, as we're going to see a little bit further here, the only one, the only being made in his image, the image bearers of Almighty God. And I've shared this with you in weeks past, and I want to share it with you again. I believe that there's two ditches that you could fall into on this road. One ditch is that you see man as too high. The other ditch is seeing man as too little. So you see man as the measure of all things. This nasty, rotten humanism 
where man is the measure of all things. There is no God. It's all evolved from nothing. And so as it evolved, now we're at the pinnacle. And what's the pinnacle? You. I would say that's garbage. Second one is that you are simply an animal. And so there's no rules. Do whatever you want. And you are a mistake anyways, so live it up. That's another huge mistake. And as I look at the world, it's interesting. Both faults, both errors flow from the same concept that there's no God. Now, let me just do a side note here really quick. What would a society look like that believes there's no God and every last one of us is here by accident with the sole purpose of making ourselves happy? Just let that set on you for a bit. No, rather, we come to the Lord. I was just thinking about that song that we were just singing, um, that I am found I thought, man, what what a way of putting it. I was lost, but I've been found. God has, you know, sometimes we say, have you found Jesus? That kind of flips it around the other way and says, no, you were found. The Lord found you. He, He brought you unto himself. And as you're brought unto him, you're allowed to see things rightly, and he gives you his word. So now you actually see the structure of reality. You see that which is real, and everything comes into focus. Now we see there's a sovereign supreme being who's in charge of all things. He's created everything, and he has crowned you as the crown of his creation, the image bearer of Almighty God. You are not there to be the image. You're there to bear the image of someone else. You're not the pinnacle. You're there to bring glory to the pinnacle. And when we get saved, it's like, oh, man, that's refreshing. All this weight was on my shoulders this whole time thinking I was the pinnacle. I better not mess this up because when I'm dead, it's all over. And then you come to Christ and everything bursts wide open and you see yourself rightly because you begin to see God rightly and things start to fall into place and you look at your world and you say, I understand now. I understand. And that's a common thread throughout this whole Uh, portion that we are in right now, if you follow and track with Noah, Noah never tells God, I got a better idea on this whole ark thing. Or I've got got an idea, you know, how about you just... No, he hears the word of God and responds in obedience to the word of God. You're king, I'm not. I've been reading in Job in my private uh, devotionals lately and just... The end of Job should be a portion that we should memorize and put deep in our heart where Job speaks back to God and God says, well, let me remind you who you're speaking to, Mr. Job. And Job puts his hands in his mouth and says, I will not speak anymore. Beloved, all of us need those moments in our lives as believers to say, I'm so sorry, I forgot my role. You are God, I'm creation. And that's what's so beautiful about what's happening in this passage. Noah is saying, you are God, I'm creation. I want to rightly honor you. But there's, it's a double-edged sword because you are God and I want to rightly honor you. And yet, Almighty God is the one who's giving him authority over God's creation. Catch that? And so all these animals, you will be king over. They will be in subjection to you. Notice he says, into your hands they are delivered. Now, 
this is a very interesting piece to the story, in my opinion. If you look down at verse 3, it says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. There is debate on this, and I don't really care to debate it, because it doesn't, in my opinion, make or break the, the, a huge deal. But some argue that prior to this point right here, there was no eating of the flesh of animals. Um, I think that could be argued from the text because it seems that there's a shifting here. There's something new being brought into the, into the, uh, the spectrum here because that concept, why would he bring it up if everybody had been eating the flesh of animals up to this point? Perhaps this is the Lord granting authority over the animals and also saying, I will provide you the meat from the flesh of these animals. That seems to be what the passage is saying um, from looking at the text. And so now you are no longer vegetarians. You have been granted meat. You've also been granted the plants. I am providing for you. Remember, guys, a divine blessing, a divine command, be fruitful and multiply, divine protection and authority. You are now going to be in charge of all the animals and they'll be in dread to you. And divine provision, the food from the animals and from the green plants. Do you see how the, the wellspring of everything is God? Where God doesn't tell Noah, and this is what you need to provide. He's saying, I am the consistent provider for you. I'll speak more on that in just a a little bit. But that concept of God being the provider, us being the receiver, is marvelous. It is extremely clearly biblical. And it's hard for us to take as strong-willed, egotistical, people to be the pure receiver from the provider. Now, the Lord also touches on a very important point here in reference to the high value that God places on life. Look at verse 4. It says, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. This concept of the blood being the life is a consistent thread. If you walk through your Old Testament and then into your New Testament, you'll find this everywhere. Uh, We sing, there's power in the what? In the blood. Are we actually saying that there's something miraculous about Jesus' blood? The physical blood? I don't believe so. Because the rest of the Bible, when it speaks of blood, is speaking of Life. When you hear blood, you're hearing life. It's beginning in this text, and you'll see it clear through the rest of your Bible. When blood is brought up, what it's referring to is life. Think about the atoning sacrifices in the Old Testament. The sacrificial system, as the blood is spilled out. Now, it's, it's kind of gross to think about it, but this is what God declared from Israel, is you will empty the blood, and you're emptying the blood into bowls, and there's or, not bowls, but bowls. You know what I mean. And you're using that blood as an atoning sacrifice to the Lord. Is it the blood itself? No, it's the life. It's the sacrifice. This is why there's some goofy teachers that say that Jesus didn't actually die. He just simply spilt blood. Well, no, because he actually gave his life. And every time you hear about the spilling of blood, the, the, the reason for bringing that up is to reference the giving 
of life. And so here we are. The reason I spend time on that, guys, is because there's a foundational principle that will carry us through the rest of our study of this book and through the rest of our Bible, that when blood comes up, I want you to think life. And so he says, every moving thing uh, he gives us to you, and, um, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. The Lord's saying there's a symbolic category here. I want you to stay away from the blood of the animal. Remove that blood before you eat that flesh. There's something about that blood that shows the life. And then he carries us to the next level. He says, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. This is a very vital um, Peace. Remember, a few weeks, uh, months ago, I made reference to Genesis as a book of foundations. Okay, um, I will just tell you that in my study of the book, I didn't realize how much of a book of foundations it is. The more I've studied it, the more I go, wow, there, there are so many foundational principles and bits and pieces to the book of Genesis that are vital to understand the rest of your Old Testament and the rest of your Bible. This concept of Blood for blood, or a reckoning for the spilling of blood. What God is doing is he is talking about the value he places on life. Remember, who is the giver of life? Almighty God is the one who designed this, who granted this, who gives life. And so Almighty God has given life to the animals. And he says, I don't want you to eat the flesh with the blood. And then he takes it to another step and says, on top of that, Even greater than that, this is a lesser to greater argument that he's making here, going from the animals now to the crown of creation, namely human beings, there will be a reckoning for the spilling of innocent blood. Why would that strike so deeply into the heart of Noah? I would argue that if you look at the world prior to the flood, one of the greatest ingredients to that world that was celebrated was violence. I covered this in detail weeks and weeks ago, that one of the biggest problems going on in pre-flood world was the violence and the bloodshed of man to man. And how people remember that song that Lamech sang, he was... He was rejoicing and congratulating himself for how violent of a man he was. And so now God gives one simple principle to Noah. Remember, we're starting over. Here's some authority. Here is some responsibility, Noah. Here's one simple rule that many rules will flow from. When blood is spilt, there's a reckoning for it. I consider life beyond precious. And when life is taken, there is a recompense. There will be a consequence for what you're doing. God hates the flippant heart when it comes to taking life. Why? Well... He's the giver of it, number one. Anytime we take a gift from God and we flippantly just throw it around and play with it and pretend like we don't care, that is demeaning and offensive to him. But even more than that, look at your Bible. He says, from every beast I will... Well, let me back up to verse 5. And, your li- and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it. And from man, 
from his fellow man, I will require reckoning for the life of man. He gives this poetic phrase, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his image. Now, I'm sure you've heard this before, beloved, where we ask the question, is God against murder? Yes, absolutely he is. God hates murder. And as somebody takes the life of an innocent human being, God despises that because that human being was made in the image of God. Um, I'm not going to spend time on this this morning. I can do it another time at some point. There's a vast difference between murder and killing. Let that hit you for a second. I think there's a vast difference between murder and killing. You will see the Lord consistently through the Old Testament command Israel to go and take out a certain group of people, and you say, is that murder? No, that's not murder. There's a vast difference between murder and killing. To the point, I just finished reading Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes actually says a time to kill. But that's not what he's speaking of here. He's not speaking about wartime. He's not speaking about a, a, a just taking of a life to save life. He's not talking about any of that. What he's speaking against here is the bloodshed of innocence. Whoever sheds that blood of man, by that man shall his blood be shed. I know capital punishment is a hefty argument that lots of people like to bat around and politicians have huge problems with and all that. I know all that stuff, but beloved, don't miss the simple, simple principle that God lays out here. You're not getting away with it. There's a reckoning for this. Whoever sheds blood, that man's blood will be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now, Real quick, this concept of his image. I know sometimes that can get confusing and a little bit tricky because we start to say, like a physical image, like five, ten fingers, ten toes, a nose. What are you talking about here? Well, again, the scripture very clearly teaches that Almighty God is spirit. And so it's not a physical image. So what image would it be? Well, in Genesis, it tells us that he's made in God's image. And then it speaks of the authority given to him. I think it also, the more you walk through the Old Testament, you'll see this expanded. Not only that, but if you look simply at man and ask the question, how is he different than all of creation? Personal, rational, creative, ruling, moral, gaining in knowledge, granted authority, granted wisdom, all of those things make them different than the rest of God's creation, and it shows God. And this is where I want to be very careful with my language because it can get me in huge trouble. I'm not, I'm seeking to stay away from anything heretical here. Beloved, you show God to the world. And I don't mean that necessarily in the sense of you are the light of the world. I don't, that's not where I'm going. What I'm saying is you are made in the image of God. You're an image bearer. You're not him. You bear the image of him. And so, taking that which bears the image of the living God and flippantly, loosely destroying it for the sake of comfort and ease or pure love for violence 
is what he's speaking of in this passage. To think of the millions of infants destroyed, every last one bearing his image. should leave us in awe at the gravity of man's sin and the grace of God who redeems us in the midst of that. He wraps up with the same way he started. And you, be fruitful and multiply Team on the earth and multiply in it. Since you're made in his image, since you are precious in his sight, since you show the glory of God in a profound way like nothing else in creation does, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's God's high value uh, on this. Now, let me just read a portion of scripture. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 127. This passage came to my, came to my mind in reading through different commentaries, and uh, I just want to read this to remind all of us of this glorious truth. 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And you will find this, guys, all throughout your Bibles. I know you're aware of this. Every time it speaks of the blessing of children, that being fruitful and multiply, the Lord commands it. And then when you see it come to fruition, he blesses that over and over and over again, speaks of it as a glory, not as a consequence, not as a problem, not as something that has to be dealt with but as a gracious, gracious gift. There's more to be said on that that I would love to, but I'm I'm running out of time, so I'm going to move a little bit forward. Just let, let me close that concept in our minds that for those in this world right now, presently, who are struggling and suffering and scared to death because they are... Pregnant and scared and needing help. Beloved, you are the one to rush to the cause and say, we're here for you, we'll walk with you in this, we will support you in this. There are other options and all those things that we as God's people can go and do. Because it is a precious, blessed life that the Lord loves and calls for us to go and seek to save in the midst of a perverse, perverse world. Look at this covenant that now Noah makes with creation. If you look at verse 8, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I love that word because it's just like, get ready, here it comes. I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature 
that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So the Lord is saying, I promise you, I absolutely promise you, your kids, your offsprings, all creation, I make this declaration. What you just witnessed, Noah, and what your boys witnessed and their wives and your wife witnessed will never, ever take place ever again. Now, this is what's amazing about covenants, is that the covenants are always initiated by God. Somebody doesn't go to God and say, God, you need to get into covenant with me. He's always the initiator. He loved us before we loved him. We love him because he loved us. And so Almighty God comes and establishes this covenant and says, this is the promise I'm making with you. God is the initiator. The partners in the covenant seem to be all of creation, specifically Noah and his sons. But then he opens it up and says, and all creation, every creature, I'm making a promise to you. The terms of the covenant, I will never destroy the world by a flood ever again. And the sustainer of the covenant is the living God. Now, look at the sign of this covenant. Verse 12, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember. Remember, we touched that word remember. It's not because he forgot. He's saying I will be continually walking in this covenant. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So the partners in the covenant, God in creation, the terms of the covenant, I will never flood the earth, the sustainer of the covenant, almighty God, the sign of the covenant, the rainbow in the sky, and the sign continues today. This is what is so mind-boggling to me, and it shouldn't be. This is what's so dense about Dan. As I see the rainbow, and it's beautiful, and it's gorgeous, and I'm reminded of this text But there's still that little ounce of doubt in my soul going, is it really still God being a covenant keeper? And the answer is, I was going to say, duh. But yeah, yeah. Yes, that's the answer. The sovereign king of the universe has kept his word from Noah to Dan Mason. Over and over and over and over again. Think about all that has transpired in human history from this day to 2020. Think of everything, you guys, all that time where the rainbow hung out there. Over and over again, the Lord declaring, there's the sign, there's the sign, there's the sign, there's the sign. I made a promise and I will totally keep that covenant. I believe that. 
I really believe that profoundly, that that's the sovereign God making that declaration. And the weatherman can say all he wants till he's blue in the face, but the living God is the one who said why it's there. Now, you and I may see that and hear that, that rainbow, and we hear him make his promise about the covenant, and that touches our heart, and we can physically see that with our own eyes. But here's my challenge. Don't leave it with the rainbow and don't leave it with only this promise. What it should do is trigger in you and me to consider the other covenants the Lord's made. When that triggers the other covenants, ultimately that will lead to the new covenant. Namely, the spilt blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and my salvation in Him. Let me ask you this. If God has totally, fully, truly kept his promise regarding never flooding the earth for all this time, and he continues to hang the sign of the covenant out there for all to see, what kind of confidence could I have if this afternoon I found out my body's filled with cancer and there's nothing to be done and I'm going to go be with the Lord in a matter of months? What kind of stability... What kind of stability could rush to my rescue if I consider the God who keeps his promises? See what I'm saying? So if you look at the rainbow and you go, that reminds me of Noah. you've, You've stopped too soon. Yeah, Noah. What about the rest of the covenants? What about the rest of the promises of the living God? What about your salvation? What about new heavens and new earth? Beloved, You can jump from the rainbow into the glory of a promise-keeping God and rejoice in that. And so let me kind of land the plane with this concept. What I have loved and been so moved by week after week in regards to Noah has been the unflinching obedience to what God said. God said it. Done. Well, yeah, but what about... Nope. God said it. Done. Build an ark. I'll build an ark. He gave me the blueprints. Boys, we're going to work. Build the ark. And I'm going to go preach and declare as well. What if nobody hears you? And what if everybody laughs? I don't care. God said, do. Okay, it's done. God said, we're going to go get our petting zoo together. Let's go get them. Bring them in. God said he's going to slam the door. God slams the door. Boom. Starts pouring rain. People are screaming. People are dying. God said this would happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to walk in obedience. Day after day after day after day of this massive flood and God's protection in the ark. And then all of a sudden everything dries up and the Lord... Let me just say, somebody brought this up to me last week. They said, do you think he opened the door as well? Probably. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, But the door opens... Noah and his, and his kids come out, and they give a sacrifice and an offering before Almighty God. And then God says, be fruitful and multiply. And by the way, this is what life is going to look like from now on. And Noah keeps walking in obedience. Now, we're going to see, we're going to see that he's human next week. But for now, I want you just to hear that truth. The man saw God's word, heard God's word, walked in obedience to God's word, and God's word was completely true every single step of the way.
The tricky part is the time when he hadn't seen it come to fruition and he had to wait and wait and wait. And so here you are, my dear, precious, beloved body of Christ. The people of God walk in obedience to the word of God by the power of the spirit of God for the glory of God alone. If I were to say this is the life of the truly born-again, converted man or woman, it is the people of God who walk in obedience to the Word of God by the power of the Spirit of God for the glory of God alone. And So I'm going to ask you a question that's simple and asked of you by this pulpit, by me, by our elders all the time, but is so hot in my heart this morning Are you turning to the scriptures consistently? Do you consistently have the words of God in your eyes and in your ears and buried in your heart? Have you shut his mouth? There is an absolute necessity of God's word in the life of the Christian. It is nothing to fool around with or take lightly. Noah took the word of God more serious than anything else. He held to what God had to say tightly. This world is going to begin to squeeze you more tightly than ever before. And the greatest, most important prepper type thing you could do is to bury his word deep in your soul and be prepared. There is a vitality that if the word, the mouth of God is shut off from you, you are left so vulnerable. And that's what jumped off that page to my heart this week. And so let me ask God's blessing on us. Father, Lord, please... Please help us not to be loose and flippant 